each other and, and the peak, the pinnacle of the story, if you like, the, the moment of resolution, the, the poster which the film is based on, would be that moment where Ruth and Boaz get together. I don't think Hollywood's peak, Hollywood's moment, would be a genealogy. <laughs> so when the Bible concludes a book with a genealogy, in just the same way, by the way, that it starts the New Testament, we need to pay attention and we need to ask why. And I want us to think about particularly some of the characters that come through at the end of the story of Ruth. Particularly some of the people that perhaps haven't been mentioned that much or at all so far. And try to think, well, why does the book of Ruth finish in this way, as written here, and doesn't finish in that way? The sort of hazy, love-drenched feel of Hollywood with a sort of soft focus lens. Why does it finish here? And I want to do that by looking at three of the people who are mentioned in this section, none of whom actually are Ruth or Boaz. And the first person that's mentioned here that I want to draw your attention to is someone who's hardly been mentioned at all in the story so far. God. Hardly mentioned. Only twice in the whole of the book of Ruth are we specifically told that the Lord God himself is doing something. Now, as we've read it and as we've gone through the last few weeks, we've clearly seen that God is at work behind the scenes. And how much is that like life? That those dramatic moments of God's intervention are relatively rare, and yet as we look back, we can see how God has been at work. Well, so it is with the book of Ruth. Only twice is the Lord specifically mentioned as intervening in what happens. The first time is near the beginning when we're told that the Lord brought the barley harvest back to Israel. If you remember, there was a famine, and Naomi and family uh, moved to Moab for a a long time, actually. And then we're specifically told that the Lord provided the harvest, and so they come back. And then God isn't mentioned at all, really, other than in prayers. But in terms of his actual action in the story, it's not until here in Ruth chapter 4... And verse 13, the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive, and she bore a son. Now, Ruth and her first husband hadn't had any children, and perhaps weren't able to have any children. Now, that is a much more common situation than I think I had realized growing up. I've got no doubt that it will have been a very important thing for many of us here and certainly many people that we know. But early in the story, Ruth doesn't have children, but here the Lord intervenes and she's able to conceive and she gives birth to a son. Early in the story, the Lord intervenes and he provides food. Here the Lord intervenes and he provides a son. Early in the story, perhaps you might say it's a very material provision for the people of Israel. Here it is a very personal provision for Ruth, for Boaz, 
and for Naomi. But the reality is that even though the Lord is only mentioned sort of at the beginning, at the end, of course, God has been at work the whole time to bring redemption to this family, to bring them back inside his people, to give them this hope and this future now, where at the beginning it felt like everything was lost. There was so much uncertainty about the future or what it might hold or what it might look like for Naomi returning as a widow to her homeland. Well, God has been at work to bring redemption. And those two mentions of the Lord specifically intervening sort of bookend this story for us. You cannot get outside of God's work in the world. Even when we don't see it specifically, even when it's not specifically mentioned, God is at work to achieve his purposes. And it's as true for us today as it was for Naomi and for Ruth. The Lord has always been at work to bring redemption. And here he is doing that in a very real way by providing this son for Boaz and for Ruth. So that's the first person. The first person who probably wouldn't feature very heavily in a Hollywood story. God himself. Secondly, I want to think about Naomi. Now the book is called Ruth. And rightly so, because she's a great hero. A wonderful person whose faithfulness and loyalty and determination transforms not only her own life, but the life of Naomi, Boaz, and the whole family. So no wonder the book is called the book of Ruth. But whose story is it really? I think it's Naomi's. And I think when God wants us to see ourselves in the story, he wants us to imagine ourselves in Naomi's place. To understand what it means to find God's redemption. Naomi begins the story as soon as it gets going. She quickly becomes desperate, hopeless. And she even asks to change her name to one which means bitter. But Naomi ends the story blessed, hopeful, and with a face full of joy. She goes from, my family and I have no future, to my family has a glorious hope for the future. We see it there in verse 14, where the other women around Naomi say to her, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a next of kin. So how might we apply that to us? If Naomi is the one in whose story we might place ourselves and look to see how God treats us, then there are two possible ways to apply this, I think. One which is flawed and dangerous, and the other, I think, which is biblical and glorifying to God. The dangerous application is the prosperity gospel application. The the message which says, if you have enough faith, if you love God enough, if you trust God enough, if you do everything that God wants you to do, and often if you give enough money, then God will reward you. 
If you do enough, the things that God has told you to do, then God will reward you. Blessing follows action in that false gospel. But that is not what happened. No. The change for Naomi and in her life comes because God first loved her. Because God first used Ruth and then Boaz to bless her while Naomi was still bitter towards God. Grace means that God loves us when we don't deserve it. Before we want it. And without us earning it. To put it in New Testament terms, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So no, the prosperity gospel application does not hold. We're not to come away from this saying, well, the more I do, the more God will bless me. No. The biblical application from the story of Naomi is to see the character of God. A God who loves us even when we mess things up. A God who promises to work all things for the good of those who believe, even those who often make bad choices. A God who will be faithful to us, even though life at times means walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But he will never leave us nor forsake us when we trust in him, and he will bring us through to dwell with him forever. The application from Naomi is to look to Naomi's God and to believe that this God who brought redemption to a lady who described herself as bitter and transformed it into joy can and will do the same thing for us when we trust in him. This is Naomi's story and it can also be our story. And thirdly and finally, I want to just think about the Redeemer, the Redeemer in the story. And as we've seen, this is a story which has a lot to say about Redeemers. It's been great to go through it. And when we sing now about Jesus, our Redeemer, we've got a bit of color to put on that picture. Someone said this to me last week, and they're absolutely right. We don't use the word redemption very much in the modern day and age, apart from perhaps redeeming a supermarket voucher, which feels a bit not quite on the same level. But when we read the story of Ruth and we get this picture of what it is to costly buy someone back, to make a sacrifice, a personal sacrifice, in order to show love to others that they might be brought back inside and given a hope and a future, then when we sing about Jesus, our Redeemer, we can see in full 3D, better than Hollywood can ever show us, that Jesus has made that sacrifice to bring us back inside. The Redeemer motif of Ruth is the reality of who Jesus is. And I'm not just saying that. I want to show you that from the passage that we've just read. I want to do it by asking you how many redeemers are mentioned in the book of Ruth. How many? Well, let's count them. Firstly, we have the redeemer who turns down the option to redeem uh, Naomi and Ruth. 
who thinks it's a great deal when it just involves buying up a cheap piece of land, but as soon as it means obligations to the family and the possible loss of his name and his inheritance, he walks right on by. In Hebrew, the name which is used there in chapter 4 is an idiom, a saying. It's most probably best translated as Mr. So-and-so. He could have been Boaz, but he walked on by. There's the first redeemer. The second redeemer, of course, is Boaz, who's hoping that the first man will pass up on the opportunity because Boaz and Ruth have fallen in love with one another. Yes, that's fine. Hollywood can have that bit. But Boaz cares for them both. He sees Ruth's faithfulness to her promises. And he makes that costly redemption for their sake. Boaz is the second redeemer. But Ruth's not finished with redeemers yet. Have a look down if you've got your Bible open or listen to me. uh, Read the thing which is said to Naomi. Who do the people say is Naomi's redeemer? Is it Boaz? Have a listen carefully to what they say. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. They're talking about Naomi's redeemer. And it's the baby that Ruth has given birth to. It's not Boaz. Although he's done what was needed to bring them back in. As the people gather around and they look at Naomi and they remind themselves of her story, they realize that the one who's brought her redemption isn't just a husband for her daughter-in-law. It's a grandson. A grandson which means the family will continue. Their names will not be forgotten. There will be someone there to care for her in her old age and to keep the promised family going. There is a third redeemer in Ruth, and it's the little baby. Can you imagine Naomi in that moment? Naomi, whose whose face for so many years must have had those trails of tears rolling down her cheeks. The sadness, the loss that she went through, the seeming hopelessness of her situation, the wonder and the worry about what the future would hold. Her face would have been the dust of those days, streaked with the tears of someone who asked to be known as bitter. But now here, cradling in her arms, the baby. And now, they're tears of joy, of hope, of the fulfillment of God's promises. Naomi has been redeemed. Should we go for one more? Fourth Redeemer. Listen to this story. 
the Lord miraculously gives an unexpected pregnancy to a young lady who is humble and faithful. And she gives birth to a son. And he will be a great redeemer. He is a baby boy born in Bethlehem. Hidden in that little boy, Naomi's redeemer, is the ancestor of our redeemer. Another little baby boy born in Bethlehem to a humble and faithful servant of God. That's why I put the genealogy on the back of those booklets. The first part is here in Ruth. That's why Ruth finishes with the genealogy, because this little baby boy becomes the ancestor of King David. It's through Ruth and Boaz that Israel's greatest king will be born. And from David's line comes Jesus Christ, the baby boy born in Bethlehem to offer to you and to me and to the whole world redemption. Would you like to close your eyes for a moment? If I ask you to picture Jesus, what do you see? Do you see him still as that baby boy? Perhaps on the front of a Christmas card. Cute, lovely, but somehow unconnected from the rest of life apart from a few weeks a year. Or do you picture God as far off, aloof, tucked away somewhere out of reach and out of sight, who couldn't care less about you or this world? Well, neither of those pictures are where the Bible leaves us with Jesus. The picture, I think, is that he's standing right in front of us. looking you in the eyes and offering you his redemption. His hands are marked by the scars of the nails which hung him to the cross where he chose to die in yours and my place to pay that price that we might be brought back inside God's family. He loved us. He loved you. Enough to come and redeem us from our sin and welcome us into his family. He opens his arms wide and he says, come and follow me. Receive forgiveness. Receive hope. Receive life.
from our Redeemer. Jesus, would you meet with us again this morning? Or perhaps for the very first time. Show us that you're here. Show us that you're alive. Show us that you've won that victory over sin and death. Show us our Redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done to bring us back home. Lord, would you fill our hearts with the joy of Naomi, the faith of Ruth, the grace of Boaz, and the love of God. We ask it, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you very much, Tom. Would you please stand if you're able? We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Let's respond to this, that word from the Lord. Thank you.